This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome. We're in the beginning today of a series for Christmas that we've called Christmas. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. And so it's great to have you as we get ready to start this today. Um, I, I thought it would be wise for us to go back to the beginning of this story as we get ready to set this up. Really, going way back to the beginning. It all has to do with a child. It all has to do with a baby and two parents who could not have kids. The story of redemption begins with a man named Abraham. A man who God had blessed and led out of a city where he grew up into really what was at that point a wilderness. Abraham and his wife Sarah were, although they were wealthy and blessed, they didn't have any kids. And God led him out one night and as a very old man asked him to look up at the stars. In the midst of that great longing and wanting a child, God said, Abraham, not only will you have one, but try to count the stars in the sky. That's how many kids you'll have one day. It's interesting to me that the story of redemption begins with a man and a wife who were longing to have a child. And God began it all by giving them a child. If you fast forward thousands of years to the beginning and opening of the Gospel of Luke, we come in contact with another couple and another child. This time it's a, a little different, and to go somewhere you're probably not expecting, it's not Mary and Joseph. It's a man named Zachariah. He's a priest, and his wife Elizabeth. Same situation. They're old, they're blessed, and they have no child to share it with. As a matter of fact, look at what the Bible says in Luke 1, verse 7. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were very old. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Isn't it interesting that the story of redemption and the story of our Savior all seem to start with this similar context. And one day, much like Abraham, Zacharias visited. He's visited by an angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord tells him, you and your wife are going to have a child. Now, the events that follow are, to be honest with you, quite amazing if you read Luke 1. But I want to zero in on a verse here in Luke 1, 13 through 15. This is the angel speaking to Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. And you are to name him John. Focus on this. You will have great 
joy and gladness, and many will rejoice, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Elizabeth would become pregnant and give birth to John the Baptist, who Jesus would say is the greatest prophet that ever lived. As a matter of fact, if you just want to judge first century impact, John the Baptist probably archaeologically has maybe greater impact in the first century than Jesus did. Find evidence of him in North Africa all the way into Greece. He was a mega superstar. And God gave him to Zachariah and Elizabeth. You know, Christmas, Christmas is all about a child, isn't it? It's all about a child. I love this verse by Robert Lynn. Christmas Day in the company of children is one of the few occasions on which men become entirely alive. How many of you have kids and you know that's the truth? That day where you know work's on pause, everything else is pressed pause, and you get to be fully present with your family. How many of you would say, when you think about Christmas, some of the greatest memories that you have of Christmas are either when you were a child or celebrating Christmas with a child. How many of y'all would identify with that? Anybody? See, Christmas connects to childhood in this powerful, powerful way. Laura Ingalls Wilder said this, that our hearts grow tender with childhood memories and love of kindred, and we are better, listen to this, better throughout the year in spirit, having become a child again at Christmas time. How many of y'all know that's true? That we, we enter into this time of year and there's something different that happens to us. We're so busy the rest of the year and this time of year, we, we know this is the time of the year to make sacrifices so that we can spend time with our family. We know this is the time of the year that we need to at times press pause so that we can be fully present and engaged. The rest of the year we run like rats in the race, don't we? But there's something special about Christmas. You see, Christmas isn't about the children. Christmas is all about the child. The one child. For 400 years, following the prophet Malachi, God had been silent. If you read through the Bible, the end of the Old Testament is that prophet Malachi. And that book ends with this this kind of understanding and an awareness that God is going to do something, but we don't know when. I mean, I think we live in that tension these days, don't we? Thousands of years after the return of Christ to heaven, He promised He was going to come back. And we know that one day Jesus will return. And for 400 years, God had been silent until He comes to see one of the most unlikely characters in all of the story of redemption. Without 
divulging a lot of the details because it really will lead to some conversations that we don't need to have this morning. I want you to know that Mary was, in our mind, let's just think about a high school girl, okay? Mary's not 22. She's not out with her career, you know? And Mary is in a very fragile and vulnerable state. She's young. She's betrothed. That means that a man has paid a dowry on her to secure her as a wife. They're engaged. He's preparing a place for her in his home. When that's done, they will be married. So they're in this tension of, I know I'm going to get married, but... And God comes to visit Mary. Look at Luke 1, verse 30. The angel of the Lord speaking to Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now we read that, and we read it in context and knowing the ending of the story. But that moment is filled with all sorts of tension. But I want you to notice something about God. This is one of the most powerful things of Christmas. That God chose not to end his silence with his word, but to end it with his presence. That God didn't choose to speak through prophets or to shout out loud from the heavens. God chose to be with us. To feel our pain. To experience the lostness of the human condition as a first person player in the story. Isaiah, in the verse that Jimmy read just a few minutes ago, Isaiah 7.14 says, The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was God with us. Jesus is God with us. That is what Christmas is all about. Realizing that God would not stay away, refused to stay away. And today what I'd like to do is we get ready to dive into this series. What I want to examine with you for the next three weeks and then culminating at Vintage Christmas on the 23rd, I want to answer this question for you. What are you going to get more of this Christmas? I want to help you navigate that. And I think we see a small key to the answer today and how Mary responds to what God has done in her life. Now let's examine this again. Mary's a high school girl engaged to be married. Someone powerful enough to have enough money to pay for her has paid the dowry. And now 
she's pregnant and the only answer she has for it is it's God's son. Does that sound pretty to you? I'm going to be honest with you. We read that story and neglect to understand the tension that would have been there. Her husband considered just quietly sweeping it under the rug and moving on. But he didn't. God changed his mind. But at the end of Luke 1, Mary records something, or Luke records something that we call Mary's song. I want you to see a few verses of what she says. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You see, I think it's interesting that in a situation that many of us would have approached with fear or dread, Mary finds joy. Mary finds joy. You see, even if we fast forward to the day that Jesus is born, after the shepherds and the wise men and all of that has happened, in Luke 2.19 it says this, read this with me, you've heard this before. Mary kept all of these things, holding them dear, deep within herself. You see, something happened throughout all of this. Mary's heart, instead of growing bitter, Mary's heart was full. Instead of despising her circumstance, Mary accepted her circumstance. And somehow that circumstance became a fuel for a fire that grew into joy. First thing in your notes today is I want you to see this, is that every experience that we have in life will leave us with more. Every experience that we have in life will leave us with more. You go to the grocery store, you come home with what? More food. All right? You go to a concert, you might have more fun. Right? You come to church, you might leave with more of the Holy Ghost. Who knows, right? But every experience that we have will give us more. But here's the tension that I want you to see today. And most of our more comes from the default experience. It comes from the default experience. Let me just tell you. In life, you can live life through default or through design. It is not a combination of the two. Default or design. Every one of us in here, if we're just left to our own habits and intentions, we will settle into what is our default life. And you know what default looks like? Default looks normal. It looks spending too much money, being undisciplined, not taking care of ourselves, not taking care of our finances, not serving God, not being disciplined in our spiritual life. Or we can live by design. And see what's interesting about this is that if this were any of us walking into this moment, we would have walked out with the default more. What is the default more that Mary would have had at that moment? She would have had more stress. 
she would have had more more fear more worry but somehow mary looked into god's heart and god's plan for her and she saw design and in god's design she got more joy every experience will give you more but typically the more that we walk through is the default more what's the default more for christmas get more presents get more time with my kids right get more decorations make my house look good right get more money so i can buy the kids more presents right What's the default more for you this Christmas? Here's what I would submit to you today. That perhaps the more that you have in the back of your brain when you approach Christmas this year is not the more that God wants for you. Number three. I want you to see this. More is not bad. More is not bad. As a matter of fact, I'd tell you that it's benign. It's not good or bad. Okay, having more is not bad. Having more money is not necessarily a good thing. Some of y'all broke because of how you spend the money, right? Not because of how much money you have. And if you had more money, you'd still be broke because you'd spend it all. All right, it's not a it's it's not an issue. So just because something appears to be good doesn't more doesn't necessarily make it good. More time. How many of y'all would love to have two more hours a day, man? Just if I could, if they could just somehow stretch to like 27 hours a day, that'd be awesome. You know what's interesting? I heard Rick Warren say this, that every person on the planet has 24 hours a day. So we, we look at other people that are exceptionally productive. I mean, more time than you do. So more time is not necessarily a good thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. How we use our time, that's an issue. So more is not a bad thing. God, God's not scared of us having more money. God's not scared of us working to free up more time. God, God those can be good things, all right? More isn't bad. But here's something I want you to see. The world's view of more is very different than God's. The world's view of more is very different than God's. And there's probably no season that it's more apparent than the Christmas season. Isn't it interesting that we all eat so much turkey, spend a whole day with our family, and many of y'all go around a room and share things that you're thankful about, right? call it day thanksgiving you do that every year right and then the next day you go out and get in a fist fight over an elmo or something right or black friday i mean those are like right back to back days how's that work right there's there's probably no season where what the world says is more and is good is more apparent than during the season of christmas that's why if most of us are honest what do you want well i want you know, more, and you'll tell me what's on your Christmas list. How many of y'all want more tube socks this year, right? That's not on anybody's list, right? 
the world's view of more is always deeply connected to something that we'll call an appetite. We're going to look at that for a moment. I want you to see that God's design is so very different than the world's design. Look at this. John, 1 John 2, 15-17. This is a long passage of Scripture, but I want you to see that there is a, a, a design that the world has to teach us about what more is, and God has a very different one. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only what? A craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. See, there's this contrast being painted between the way that the world is going to approach more. More pleasure, more experiences. Go, instead of making a 50-cent cup of coffee at home, go buy a $6 cup of coffee in a Starbucks, right? Not that the coffee's any better. You pay for what? You pay for the experience of going into a Starbucks. Right? The world will crave experiences, pleasure. The world will crave things. How many of y'all know, and just be honest with yourself, that in the past you've had some stuff that's been like on the top notch of your Christmas list? that you got and didn't touch ever again. That ever happened to anybody? I mean, you're just dying to get that thing. Can't wait to get it. Want it so bad. Hundreds of dollars represented in the investment to get it to you. And in that investment, we're thinking weeks of work. You went to work for a week or two to pay for something like that. And you got it and used it two or three times and never touched it again. And then pride, that we would think of ourselves differently than God thinks of us. The world is going to tell us that there's a certain type of more. But I want you to see something about the appetites that shape those. Look at this. More is an appetite that will never fully or finally be satisfied. Because all... The appetite of more knows is one word. What do you think that word is? More. So what happens when you get a finite thing? Something that has a limited supply and you start going, I want more. And the appetite says, well, I, you, you have an Xbox now, but I want more. You got that new sweater you wanted, but I want more. You got that pair of shoes that you've been dying for, but I want more. Perhaps an infinite God could approach our appetites differently. Here's a few things I want you to see. The wrong more will destroy you. The wrong more will destroy you. If you live your life 
wanting the wrong more. Wanting, and some of you are there. You want more money. You want more power. You want more prestige at work. You want to drive a, a bigger car. You want the more when it comes to your house. Some of you, are the, the wrong more will kill you. It will put you in a pattern of life that will choke life itself out of what your life is. But the last thing you know today, the right more will give you life. As John penned the end to that passage, we just said, he said, anyone that pleases God will live forever. Anyone that pleases God will live. I, I want you to see that today. Because we live in a world that is trying to teach you that if you're going to live, really live, be fully alive, your life will not look anything like the life that God designed for you. It's going to be defined more often by that word more. But anyone, anyone that chooses to do what God has called us to do, to step into the life that God wants for you, that person will live. So let me ask you this question as we get ready to close today. What are you asking God for more of? This Christmas, as we approach this Christmas, what are you asking God for more of? Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at shepherds we're going to look at the wise men and then we're going to look at another surprise character as we close this thing out because I want you to see that no matter whether you're like the shepherds whether you don't have a lot of resources you're that person that we're just barely making ends meet or whether you're like the wise men and you possess all the riches in the world the more that you choose to pursue this Christmas will define the experience. And this Christmas, I want you to pursue a God who says, here I am. I chose to come be with you so that you could have more. Let's pray. God, in your wisdom, God, you broke the silence of hundreds of years. God, you broke that silence by coming to earth as a fragile baby. Your presence is how you chose to break your silence, God. And for many of us today, we're, we're, we're struggling, we're hurting. Some of us come in, in, in very difficult times having gotten health news and family news that's devastating. And God, today, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would sense your presence in our lives. That we, God, would receive the friendship and the relationship that you have offered us through your son, Jesus. 
So with every head bowed and all of our eyes closed, I want to ask you a question that I, I just want you to answer it for yourself between you and God. Is God silent to you today? Or are you living in His presence? Is God silent? Or are you living in His presence? Because if God's silent, the only reason that God's silent is not because He's not speaking to you. It's because you've pushed Him away and you can't hear Him. And God wants that friendship, that that intimate relationship where you're living in His presence every day. When you have a bad day, He's there to encourage you. When you're struggling, He's there to give you strength. When you're sick, He's there to heal your body. If you're here today and you say, I, I, I have been living in a silent world. I need the presence of God. All you need to do is to say, God, I've pushed you away. I'm sorry. God, I want you in my life. If that's you, raise your hand today. God, I've pushed you away, but I want you in my life. God, come back. God, come back. Come into my life today. Who else would say that today? Awesome. So God, for those that are here who would say they've pushed you away, God, they've ran from you, God, we ask you to come into our lives that we can live in your presence for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.